Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What? Today we've got Paddy on, who is a comedian and a comedy cup owner. Hi Paddy. Hey, how are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. First of all, apologies. This is the second attempt of doing this <laughs> and all um, undone by me. Um, sorry, that's my phone ringing. I'm going to sign that because it will ring all the way through this. <laughs> um yes i'm well i'm well how are you daniel good yes all good it's been uh been excited to uh to do this one actually because you've you've done a few things down near uh, a local pub to me uh the prince of wales you put on a few comedy nights that have um been great actually ah well it's gonna get bigger uh, we've oh. got big plans for that which we will tell you about later on oh awesome <laughs> remind me and i'll, I'll mention it to you because we're being quite ambitious Oh, cool. Okay, look forward to hearing about that. Um, do you want to jump straight in then and tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do? So I am a stand-up comic on the UK and uh, international circuit, and um, I've been doing it my first gig 2000, and, uh, 2000 in fact. Um, and then I moved out of London into East Hertfordshire and decided the amount of driving I was doing, I wanted to spend more time with my kids. So I opened a little club, tiny little club in an art center and um, uh, renovated a house at the same time, that we, which was a bad idea, nearly bankrupt, not didn't bankrupt myself, but um, worked very hard for the first year. And then um, once I got the house done, concentrated on the club and it has just got bigger and bigger and I've got another club and I've got another club and I'm doing more, more little kind of booking gigs and now doing little festivals. So it's, uh, that, that's what I do. Um, mm. yeah. So how, how did you, how did you get started in this world of comedy then? Um, I did a degree way back a million years ago in, uh, economics at London university and I never used it. <laughs> I, um, I spent a year in Australia as a cowboy straight after university. Then I came back. I was going to go. I had a, I had a, I had a desk with a, um, a big grain trading company um, to do their graduate trainee. And the recession of 1990 knocked that in the head. And they got rid of the graduate trainee scheme. scheme and then I was wondering what to do. Um, at university, I had done some dramatics and acting and a couple of musicals and um, absolutely bloody loved it. It was just made the biggest fun. Mm. And and while I was looking for, you know, this job to do in 1990, 1991, um, I worked at a theatre at um, Drury Lane um, as a kind of uh, butler for VIPs type thing, royal families, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I met lots of actors that were there and what have you. And um, I, I auditioned for drama school and I got in, uh, which was a bit of a shock. <laughs> and uh, I then thought it's a two-year course that might do it. It cost a lot of money back then. And because uh, I'd already used my degree up, my I got a full grant um, uh, back in the day of getting full grants. Um, I had to fund it myself. Um, so I went to drama school for two years and every lunchtime I'd write letters to every famous person that I could think of and would even turn around to anyone in the green room and go name a famous person they go terry wogan and i go right and i'd write to terry wogan or you know i don't know anyone um uh daniel day lewis and i'd write to daniel day lewis care of his agent and um i got funded through drama school from wow. wealthy successful actors amazing um john gilgood uh daniel day lewis uh, anthony hopkins was the main one um 
Kenneth Branagh. Um, Anthony Hopkins funded your drama yeah. school. Yeah, he wow. paid me thousands of. Pounds. You must be really good at writing letters. <laughs> do you know what I have? Um, people always say that to me, and they go, "What do you write?" And I go, "I wrote with a fountain pen, every, and just a letter." You know, I keep it to sort of two sides of a just a normal, not even A4, just a letter. You know, um, and and obviously I was, um, and um, yeah, I got paid. I have I have a photocopy of Sir John Gielgud's check from Coots because wow. it was the most beautiful check I've ever seen. And his amazing, uh, is it called Copper Script or something? Okay, yeah, like, I think so. Just, uh, and, and it's Coots. You know, I'd never heard of Coots. I was like, has he got his, some Mickey yeah. Mouse bank? And then someone told me, oh, no, no. People, Queen's Bank. The Queen's Bank. And I was like, what? And um, yeah, uh, I've got that. Um, yeah, how incredible. So but, you... Yeah, so that, funded, that got me started in drama. And then... Um, uh, I was really good at improvisation and then um, through all that and uh, I did loads of plays and a lot of tours of Ireland doing theatre and um, um, which was a lot of fun. Every time I went to Ireland, I play an English person. Every time I was in England, I play, I play an Irish person because I'm Anglo-Irish and um, um, I had a lot of fun. And then a friend of mine who was at drama school with me called Connor Maloney, who is one of the one of the priests in Father in um, Mrs. Brown's Boys. Um, was at, he he stumbled into stand up and did really well got on the telly and stuff and mm. uh, he was at me for from get go you must do this come on do this and I was like no I'm doing acting and blah 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 anyway uh, another friend of mine did it and he would got through to the semi finals of the Telegraph competition back in the day and and he was like you've got to do this you're funny you know you write stuff and anyway um, I went and did a city lit course um, with the famous Jill Edwards and. Um, and I never looked back. I did. I remember doing my first gig at the Laughing Cavaliers in uh, Islington. I've still got the, the A4 poster, <laughs> which is a photocopy with um, Jared Christmas and a few other people who don't do it anymore on there. And my name written at the bottom in Biro. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that was uh, Pat, Pat Monaghan was on that bill. Um, and I just it, the most brilliant and terrifying thing I've I mean, instantly going mm. i want to do this i mean i saw billy Connolly when i was when i was a kid in ballymena in northern ireland mm -hmm. and um and that was and he talked to me as he as i was having a cigarette outside with a buddy of mine as he came up through the car park and he took one look at us basically 14 year old boys and said uh, and he stopped and he came back to us he said are you having it are you come to see the show and we went yeah and he went uh are you just having a crafty wee fag before you go in and see the folks <laughs> and i was like how did he how did he know what how did he know that how does <laughs> how the hell did that guy know and um i sat in the audience and it was just the most amazing this absolutely tiny art center mm. in Ballymena that doesn't really do arts and um very protestant town and um oh, it was just amazing to watch this guy do his magic that was it i thought i want to do that yeah anyway. I, I watched his um his documentary recently it was on the bbc and he was his career was absolutely amazing wasn't it oh i've got all his old cds and i, I implore anyone to just to, i mean his accent's a lot stronger and he plays the guitar an awful lot and um it's just electrifying to listen to him it's almost like a fight with the audience yeah. it's just beautiful um so you say you you got the buzz as soon as you did it but yeah 
I was listening to um, on the Joe Rogan podcast the other day and uh, Kevin Hart was on there, obviously he's a massive comedian. And he was talking about like the process of, of writing your act. And I think most people kind of think comedians are always funny, but there's a process that goes into it, building your act and, and making it better, right? Yeah, absolutely. So my experience of it was I went and did this Jill Edwards course because a, the friend of mine that did it and he said, look, the easiest way to do it is do this course. It was at City Lit. It was in Holborn every Tuesday night for an hour and you go in there and you basically try and write jokes and she'd give you homework, you come back and you'd all stand up at the end on, on, a, on a, actually it wasn't even on a stage, you just stand up in a classroom and you just do what you've written and um, talk about an absolute bunch of misfits uh, <laughs> and clinic, some people clinically not well um in there doing it and um and it set up punch uh toppers all that sort of thing and um uh and she said to me at the end you know this is really good because you you know everything you write is is like this format you know you you write that way and and so one of the things you know she showed us a little video and it was back in the day a video of um different comics and what have you and, and we discussed them and i remember mentioning who are your you know who are your idols and i said billy Connolly, and she went technically not a stand-up and I went, what are you talking about? She said, he's a storyteller. Okay. If you watch a set, he does interweaves, you know, comes back to a story and then goes away again, then comes back to it again. So she would, I was really cross with her because she wouldn't let me have Billy Connolly in that. But <laughs> I remember she played Joe Brand and um, still one of my favorite jokes was she's standing on stage and, you know, Joe Brand got a lot of grief for her image. And as Jill would say, you know, work with what the audience see first. It's easiest. Um, and Joe Brand stood up and said, uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, sorry, um, I'm not feeling very well. Um, what was that? I'm not feeling very well. Um, I've spilt, I've spilt uh, my dinner down the front, and I've got a bit of a cold. And my parents weren't very attractive. <laughs> and I just remember hearing that and going, "That is a beautiful joke." <laughs> and you know, and you'd hear jokes. With, she would show. It's so interesting because back then you go to comedy clubs as much as you could, and you'd see people. But you'd always have a few beers and you can never remember what they, I could never remember what they said the next day. And I just would love it. And then but in this cold light of sober in, in a classroom, which you'd show you something and then go, right, let's dissect what that person said. And you go, oh, my God, this is set up punchline topper, set up punchline topper. And she went, that's, you know, forget it, forget what you're doing. So so we we try and do that. And it was really difficult. And then one of her techniques was rant and rave where you get a dictaphone and you'd rant for three minutes and you'd start off by saying i hate like choose squirrels and then you go i hate squirrels because they're stupid tails i hate and you just keep saying i hate squirrels and then ad limiting bits why you didn't like them anytime you're stuck you kept saying i hate squirrels i hate squirrels i hate squirrels because they look like gangsters i hate squirrels because the way they've they've stupid they think they're dinosaurs so the little arms at the front and their big back legs you're not a Tyrannosaurus rex you're a fucking squirrel just get, sort yourself out. Don't be a prick, you know, and you'd keep saying this until you'd done to three minutes. Then you'd play it back. And in the classroom, you'd play it back. And where people laughed, that was the joke. Mm. Simple as that. And then you go the line before that's your setup. And if there's a line after the joke, after the laughter, that was a topper. And you go see that. And, and it was a very good way of finding out if you were funny, if you're just <laughs> ranting. And, um, I've still got tapes of my, uh, I did I did this long thing about, about the fruit bowl, about why I hate fruit going off in the fruit bowl. And I, I really got into it and I did it a couple of times and I'd written all these jokes out and that sort of thing. And I did it and everyone thought it was really, really funny. And then she went, 
that is really funny. But you, you've obviously been watching Eddie Izzard. And I went, no. And she went, really? And I went, no. And she went, that's Eddie. Eddie Izzard has got a routine about, about fruit garden and fruit bowl. And I went, I've not, I genuinely haven't seen that routine. And she said, well, you can't use it because it's already been done. And, you know, fair play. I went, oh, God, absolutely. I mean, Eddie Izzard, I'm not going to try to yeah. <laughs> pretend to be. So so it was, so we had lots of techniques like that. I, I worked as a paralegal in the city of London. And um, I used to rant into a dictaphone and then give it to this very nice um, secretary who put on her headset and type it out. And um, I think by the time I left that job, she thought I was mentally ill. <laughs> because I kept giving her these, you know, three minute long you know, I hate avocados or, you know, I hate, um, I can't remember, you know, I hate um, clouds or I, I don't know. I hate my landlord. And there's you know, always that, there's always that line with comedians is there. They're, you're on the edge of being a little bit mad. I, I think, I, <laughs> I think that, you, you know, psychologists would have a field day about comics and what, you know, who wants to be center of attention in a room, everyone looking at you, and what you say, is, and uh, you know, all that narcissism, which um, is, is definitely there, um, but also the difficulty of being a stand-up and the low money and the amount of work you put in for what little reward, I think automatically means you're mentally ill to be pursuing this career. Um, you know, you're overriding desire where you just have to get on that stage is got to be bigger than the sum of all the negatives of being a comic and the only thing that i can conclude from that is you're either very ambitious any of or all of these ambitious narcissistic self-centered um um self-important um person you know mm. or mm. for me um uh genuinely the happiest place i am which is on stage just telling jokes and especially improvising around something um mm. Just it's just it's just an amazing drug. It seems terrifying. Like the idea of getting up in front of a group of people and bombing must be your number one fear. Oh, I mean that that's what drives you. If you've ever died and and then you decide to go on and keep doing comedy, a lot of people drop out at that point because it is just the most achingly awful moment of their life. It is everyone's worst nightmare, and it is as painful as anyone could ever think it would be. And the walk back to the tube station having died is uh, just soul destroying. But um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the other side of that is so immense. Uh, yeah. You know, I've never done heroin, but friends of mine have. And, uh, you know, <laughs> they, they say heroin's better than your best gig. And I thought I'm never doing heroin because <laughs> I couldn't go with that. I just couldn't go with that, you know? Yeah. But for someone who's sort of thinking about this or doing it as a career, are you, I know we talked about you writing jokes and you can learn the process, but do you have to, in a certain way, be naturally funny to be a really good comedian or can, is it something you can work super hard at and develop the, you know, the funny? I think I'd liken it to a good athlete where you get pretty ordinary people who can run, um, at 10 kilometers quite well and you know in your town you might be the best in the town and what have you and you're naturally gifted if you do a a lot of training you're going to improve and i think stand-up comedy stand-up comedy is is, is muscle work you've you've got to 
work on it. Um, if if you rely on just your natural ability to be funny, you're not going to get very far. You need to do three three gigs a week, um, constantly writing, and and having an eye to improve. And I I for some reason when I started off. Um, I was very relaxed on, looked very relaxed on stage and had a very easy patter with my stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't particularly brilliant, but everyone could kind of relax and go, this guy looks like he knows what he's doing, which is, you know, that's what an audience wants. And um, so I got people saying, how long, how long have you been gigging in Ireland? And I go, I haven't, I'm I'm just, I'm just starting, you know, and it was always surprised people. And I got some really big gigs booked, booked early on. And I remember going on stage at Comedia. Um, Stephen Grant had seen me MC for um, a mirth control gig way in the West Country. And he phoned me up and he said, um, uh, he said something like, do you want to know the, um, do you want to know the, the, the good news? And I went, uh, what's that? And he said, I really liked your um, MCing on Saturday. And I went, oh, thanks very much. And he said, do you want to know the bad news? And I said, what? And he went, he went I'm going to offer you a night of MCing at Comedia. I had no idea what Comedia was. I didn't know. It's a brilliant club in Brighton, for those who don't know. Um, Crater Comedy in the Comedia Theatre. And um, I went down there and there were two shows and he offered me £200. This is back in, I'm trying to think of what year it was, been 2003 maybe or something like that. Good money. And um, I was like, wow. And I went down there and there was a lovely guy, no longer with us, called Jack Russell, who was on, and Ian Stone and I can't remember who else might be Dominic Frisbee and um, I remember sitting in the green room with Ian Stone and everyone's chatting to me you know basically sussing you out because they hadn't really met me before and um, I remember <laughs> Ian Stone saying so so you've, you've come over here to try to try and do some comedy I went no no I've, I've just I live over here I've been living over here for years and um, uh, he said so how many how many years have you been gigging and I could tell the alarm in his voice already and I went oh you know about a year and a bit and he just was like oh Jesus Christ this is going to be a car crash. <laughs> really? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just got up and left the green room. Oh. And I remember sitting there going, oh, that's a bit rude. Shit. Um, <laughs> Jesus, that that's... And Jack Russell come... It was he went to speak to Jack Russell. Jack Russell came in and said, said, Paddy, have you been going to you just over a year? And I went, yeah. And he went, well, how have you got this gig? And I went, I don't know, Steve saw me. Steve saw me and, and just booked me in. And he went, okay, let me... Do you mind if I give you a few pointers? And he gave me a few pointers and um, by that stage, I was shitting myself. I was going to say, if you're in the green room just chilling out and these two comedians are going, oh, my God, what have you let yourself in for? Yeah. Already being nervous, you must have been like, shit, how do I get out of here? Well, initially, I was really, really excited. I turned up and get 200 quid and I thought, well, Stephen Grant thinks I can do this. I can do this, you know, and I did it clearly on Saturday. I mean, I'll just do what I did. And then and then they go, you understand this is this is not a little, you know, whatever it was, a tiny room above a pub or something in Yeovil or something, wherever it was but with, when Stephen saw me. He went, there are 200 and something people out there, hen nights, stag nights, you know, it's just, and they've given me, I'm telling what they said, just do your jokes, um, keep it light. If ever you're stuck, just bring one of us on or something like that, you know, something. And I remember, I remember going out and um, the first gig was fine. You know, there were no, I didn't get booed. I didn't get shouted at. I didn't get booed off. People laughed. It was okay. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, in hindsight, where I'm now was no brilliant thing, but it was enough. And then when we got to the second show, the later show, I remember um, Ian Stone couldn't even look at me. Couldn't even look me in the eye. 
And um, um, Jack, Jack said, uh, said, well done, this is different. They're a lot more drunk. It's a lot more gladiatorial. And I remember like, gladiatorial? What the, f-? anyway. So I went out there and in the first 10 minutes, I had used up all my jokes. Oh, absolutely every single and I'd rattle through them because I was like Jesus these guys are and some of my jokes were slightly more required you know don't be pissed and don't be late night audience for them you know what I mean mm. and um and uh I remember I got into a, a, a kind of row with some hen party or something and um <laughs> it was just it was it was pretty horrible um and I just managed not to completely fuck up everyone's night I think um, but I remember driving back feeling like I just swerved away from a massive car pile up behind me in the motorway mm. and managed to slip through. And I'm looking in the rear view mirror going, I nearly died there. You know, um, anyway. How do you, you begin to sort of learn how to deal with hecklers? Because that's part of the job, right? Um, I think what you need to do is you need to watch other comics mm. and massively observe other comics. You meet other some comics who are a bit cool and go, oh, I never watch anyone else. And when people are older and they're, you know, been gigging for 20 years or something like that, sometimes, sometimes you're doubling up. You don't, you don't get to see many of the comics, but when you're younger, you just go to gigs. And when you're not gigging, you go to gigs. And when you're at that gig, you stay and you watch everyone because there's so much to learn when you start off, because there's no manual about how to deal with hecklers, but you, when you watch other people lose their temper with a heckler or handle it badly or say, um, just the wrong tact on a on a fight with a heckler you know because ultimately a heckler heckles you and you're funny and make a fool of them but you're funny mm. that's you you're funny don't get cross them don't get angry don't you know have a hissy fit because that's just you've lost control mm. you're there for one reason that's to be funny and you just be funny and the answer to everything on stage is be funny or be funnier you know that's you know your gig is not going well be funnier you know <laughs> yeah yeah and, and it, yeah sorry and sort of what is a an average day for a comedian and what what are you doing is it working on your material gigging how does it work so when i first started off um you used to get time out magazine and the time out magazine comedy section was big and you'd look through that and you would it would you'd have open spot nights and there'd be a phone number in there and you'd write them down and you'd go to your first gigs um the, fir- the first gig after the Laughing Cavaliers was uh, the King's Head in uh, Crouch End, run by Peter Graham, and it did the the uh, Thursday night, I think it is, um, where you where it's new material night, and you go there with all the other nervous people who've never been on stage before, and you're doing you're doing your set, and this is a set that you've written and honed, and you do it the first time, and you record it and you play it back because you'll never remember. It's such a you know rabbit in the headlights job when you're up on stage and you play it back and the gig can go better or worse than you thought it was and you and you hear the audience reaction and where they laugh that was a joke and when they didn't laugh get that out of there just cut it out so you're constantly editing that set and your first five minutes is really difficult to write and then after your five minutes say you write another two minutes worth of material um that doesn't necessarily mean you've got seven minutes it means you take away your worst two minutes for the previous five minutes and you had that in. So there's a lot of substitution goes on. And I remember chatting to um, Hal Cruttenden because I was booked to do, I was doing tens and then 
Peter Graham said, right, I'm booking you to come on Saturday and to do a paid slot. Um, and, and it was a couple of weeks away or something like that. And I was like over the moon. And then um, I'd been to see a Saturday night there where everyone did 15 minutes. And I spoke to other comics and they went, yeah, you'll have to do 15. And um, I remember phoning Peter up and going, Peter, I, I don't have 15. I, whichever way I cut it. I mean, I've got 15, but it's not 15 that I do. You know, I've got, he said, how long have you got? And I went, I think I've got about 12, but two minutes of that's pretty shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And he had seen me do, op- you know, open spots and new material nights. And he said, I trust you, just come down, do what you want to do. And I was like, no, I, I'm not ready. I need to pull. And he insisted. So I came along. And I remember being in the green room, the most nervous I'd ever been. And um, I remember him putting his hand on my shoulder and going, going, you all right? And I went, Peter, I, you know, I think it's, you know, it's really the bit 10. And he went, do, look, do 10. And if it's good, do the other two, whatever, something like that. And I went on and I did, I think about 11 and a half minutes. Um, mm. And when you're a comic, it's obsessive about how many minutes you do. It's 11 minutes, 20 seconds. And last week I did 11 minutes, 40 seconds. Because, it, you know, you really want to have a joke every 15 seconds, you know, a punchline. So Every 15 seconds? Yeah. You, wow. yeah you, unless you're building up to, and then may, you've really got them in the palm of your hand, and you might go a minute before, before a punchline. But, uh, you know, some clubs, uh, you know, people used to be very drunk, and their attention span wasn't that long. And you are asking them to wait 30 seconds for a punchline? No, nah, that's dangerous. Too, way too way too much of big too much of a gap for a heckler and then um you've you're all obviously following other comics like if you're the middle spot classically that's where you put the weakest act and um you're following someone who's opened and kicked the arse out of it and then you go on and you're going to do 30 seconds between punchlines now nah, forget it you need to do 15 max you know wow. and it, and and so you just become obsessive about watching other comics about how their technique oh i see what you did there and there's a thing about if you if you're ever in a in a comedy club and some of the comics come out of the green room to watch the other comics from the back of the room or the side of the room just glance at them they are not laughing they are never laughing they're okay. watching observing just you know uh, just going oh i see what you did yeah yeah the only time they, they, they comics laugh is when the comic on stage gets heckled and <laughs> And they're or hit a rough patch or someone, you know, does something and everyone will go, oh, I want to see this. People, you, you can be backstage and you'll be chatting amongst yourselves and you just hear the rhythm of a comic on stage and the set up punchline, laugh, set up punchline, laugh, set up punchline, laugh, set up punchline, no, no laugh. Comic says something, no laugh. Comic says something, no laugh. People automatically go, hello, what's, what's happening? And, and then they say something else, still no laugh. And if it gets to about 35, 40 seconds, we're like, what the fuck's going on? And and you'll leave the room to go and see what the hell is going on. And there'll something has gone wrong. You know, because there's just no way. This is no way. Wow. It's it's a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm, it's like a, a comedy farce. When you do I did used to do a lot of comedy farces on stage, and there's a rhythm to the to the to getting an audience to laugh, and they laugh and then they calm down, and then they laugh and they calm down. And and then you hit, you might hit three, three big laughs in a row, and you've tired them out, and then you go, you might go slightly longer with a you know with a with a bit might be 20 seconds or 25 seconds you know mm. but um that's yeah incredible. and how how often are you gigging then 
So I'm, um, I was speaking to Hal Crutton today and he, 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 he's, well, he accused me of being a bit of a, a part-time comic at the minute because I'm booking a lot more of my own clubs and doing that sort of thing. So um, pre-lockdown, I say I was, book, I was gigging um, twice a week, maybe mm-hmm. three times a week. Um, <coughs> whereas in, two, say, 2000 and, um, uh, 2000 and around about 2014, 15, I would have been gigging um, five nights a week. Wow. So is yeah. that what you need to, when you start out in this, you need to gig as much as you can? You need to, you need to gig, um, I'd say, if you want to tread water with your set, you gig three nights a week. Less than that, you're not, you're getting unfit. Really, if you want to really improve, it's five nights a week. And some of that, you know, because the landscape of comedy has changed. Um, uh, back, back when I started out, there were lots of open mic clubs and lots of weekend clubs. And um, you could gig just like crazy. It was just brilliant. Um, and now there are less, there's just, le- there are just less gigs. So, so you'd end up, I mean, all the new Unite materials at um, up the, um, uh, the backyard, um, I just always say to them, you know, any, I book three in or four or five, whatever it is, a, a year, probably actually more than that. And I always say to them, anyone drops out, call me. Anyone drops out, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with the King's Head. I'll just frequently just call Peter up and go, Peter, I just need to go on stage. Uh, I've got some new material. And he'll, and the usual, I'm fully booked, but turn up and let's see what happens. You turn up and nearly always someone drops out and you go on stage. And and you've got to, you've got to be prepared to do that, you know. Um, you've got to be obsessive is too strong a word, but you've got to be incredibly focused. That that leads nicely into sort of the, some of the sort of desirable personality traits that somebody would need to be really successful as a comedian. I think um, you've got to be ambitious with it. Um, it's I know I can think of quite a few comics that are absolutely brilliant just sublime um when i was starting off where you'd go wow i wish i could do that and they they're either naturally funny and they relied on that too much and they didn't put the work in and they just dropped away or they just weren't they didn't want it enough you've got to really really want it um uh there's a a lot of comics who say um there's basically nothing else i can do um well, that's a balls because anyone can, you know, drive an Uber or do whatever. But when you're young and, you know, um, it's it's almost like you feel there's nothing else I can do. I, you know, I, I mean, I worked, I never went and used my degree and I never, you know, and I had lots of friends from university who were working in the city, you know, saying, I'll get you a job tomorrow, you know, just, and I just didn't want to do it. I just, I just thought, no, I want to, I want to be an actor in the standup. And, um, and I'm talking about earning peanuts when you start off jesus just awful Mm. i mean so you've got to have that incredible drive and then i think for longevity you've got to have the ability to to exercise like an athlete and go i'm going to write for an hour or two a day um and i go through cycles of writing um um i went through a whole period there of lockdown 
um, just because we were coming up to Christmas and we were slightly coming out. I was getting up at six before my kids and family got up and I'd write for two hours um, and I found it really, really productive. Um, and you've, you've got to do that. You, you know, you watch, you watch other comics, you know, it might be Netflix or whatever. And, and you know what, get a notepad out. Um, because the amount of times I don't get a notepad out and I sit and watching something, I go, oh my God, that was really good. And um, you're not stealing material. It just springs, someone mentioned something about Antarctic and penguins. And that makes you think about, oh, that time I went to the zoo and um, I was at the, pe the penguins did that. No, it's a completely different joke and setup, but it just makes you, you know, it's a catalyst. Yeah. Um, have you have you got any any tips for people who are you know how do you write is it different for everyone or have you got a process that you stick to i've i've tried to read comedy books and how to write you know because you know you do hit purple it's a purple patch bad thing or a good thing i can never remember which one it is but <laughs> no, I <didn't>. dry patch. <laughs> um you know you, you had a dry patch and you're going oh, i just can't write and the, um i think the first thing is if you go to open mic nights before you've even lifted a pen, you've probably been to see stand-ups. Now, forget about seeing, you know, big stand-ups on TV. It's always good. That's always, always good. But you want to go to see the open mic nights and see people, see how not to do it as much as how to do it. And um, I think by that stage, you've got, oh, I've got something that might be funny. And rather than trying to be formulaic and... Um, write something you you might you might just want to see when you watch other people you suddenly see a niche for yourself coming in um so you so you end up going on stage and doing really bizarre stuff but record every single gig you do um and because what happens is it's interesting i found an old tape this is back then when you see 90 tapes and i recorded my sets and um i'm eddie Izzard. I listen to it now and go, I'm trying to be Eddie Izzard. I wasn't <laughs> trying to consciously back then. Yeah. But I go, that's Eddie Izzard. You know, and then you play something a year later and you go, oh, no, no, this is different. And and so you, your comedy voice, as they call it, your persona, um, I think it finds you as much as you, you know, you go looking, for, you know, if you if you sit down and go to clubs see what's funny, certain things make you laugh more than the others, it'll influence you, you go back, you write some stuff, well, if he's doing that or she's doing that, oh, you know, it means I could do this, and you try it out, and that gets a laugh, you go, oh, that, that got a laugh, and then you try another bit out, doesn't get a laugh, you try it out three times, and then you chuck it, it's not going to work. It's a um, proper art form, isn't it? It sounds like a real process and years and years of hard work to to really, to make it, you know, we see comedians that might make my, can't speak um may pop up on the tv um uh, and it looks like you know they've had it over success overnight but reality is they'd have put years of hard work in right oh yeah i mean i remember being down at the king's head on the new material night and i was comparing because I, I do a lot of that down there because he always needs to compare and i always need to do new material so you know there we go and um i remember being down there and sean walsh being on stage and um he was amazing I was like to Peter, this guy's brilliant. And he went, he is, he, you know, he said he's been here a few times. He is very good. And I remember Sean coming off and I went up to him and I, you know, um, bearing in mind, most people are awful at these new material nights, you know. <laughs> and I went up to him and I went, mate, that's, that was absolutely brilliant. And he went, oh, thanks very much. 
And they said, look, I'm really sorry, but I've got to go because uh, I live down in Brighton. I went, oh, right. He said, yeah, I need to get the train back because I've got work in the morning. Now, that is a comic who's living in Brighton, doing a day job, getting on a train, coming to London. And anyone who knows Crouch End ain't easy to get to. You've got to get a bus at the far end, doing a new material night and then leaving early to go back and get the train back. Now, that says everything you need to know about someone who wants to succeed. Mm. And then I remember seeing, I did a gig in a cinema. God, it was years, years ago. And um, um, oh, I do this all the time with names. Um, oh, God, um, Kevin Bridges. Um, Kevin Bridges was on. And uh, I'd never met Kevin before. And he was doing the middle slot and he went up. Uh, and I, he was brilliant. I absolutely loved him. The audience weren't having any of it because his Glaswegian accent was so strong. I said, to him, he came off and he was mortified. He went, that was fucking terrible, Paddy. And I thought, nah, nah, nah. and I went, well, mate, I said, it wasn't. I said, come on. I said, has that set worked before? And he went, yeah, it normally works. And I go, there you go. It's not you, it's them. You know, it's your, your I think it's your accent. I genuinely think they couldn't, couldn't understand your accent. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, um, but, you know, there's a, you know, Glaswegian guy who had such a, a unique voice doing the middle slot for like peanuts. I mean, I can't remember how much he would have been getting paid for that. It wasn't very much at all. But again, traveling to, I think we were in somewhere near Bristol or something, you know, and he was living in London and um, and he was having a hard time going, oh, you know, I'm living in London, sleeping on a, and I, I don't know if it was a sofa, but it was somewhere pretty, you know, not very good. And, um, but make, you know, sacrifices, huge sacrifices. Everyone just makes massive sacrifices to do it. So how did you get from the world of being in the, you know, a stand-up comedian into s- deciding to, you know, I'm going to start my own club and then, you know, getting the comedians to come to your club and how did that all come about? Well, um, I, I did my degree in economics and I read The Economist and I read a lot of that stuff. And when the 2008 banking crisis happened and austerity kicked in and it was bloody awful time for everyone, I remember thinking, Comedy is still the cheap person's night out, the cheap night out for any person. And um, I thought back then um, that people will stop going to high end. You know, the people, are, you know, austerity is going to really kick in. I said, we've got, I remember thinking we've got, we've probably got two years, um, three years before, um, you know, really kicks in this austerity. So, uh it ain't gonna be pretty. And at that time, I remember fuel prices were going up, rents and everything was going up and our wages were staying the same, if, uh, which was stagflation. And I remember thinking, this is a recipe for disaster. I'm driving to gigs instead of it costing me 20 quid, it's costing me, you know, 35 or something like that. And, um, and that's a massive dent in your earnings. And um, I moved, the other thing, I moved out of London and when I was living in London, you car shared and it was, it, I can't, the joy of car sharing with other comics to a gig and back again is just joy. You do the gig together, you, you come back, you're, you're just chatting the whole way, swapping stories. You know, some people you might, very few comics actually, but some, some choice ones that I know you, you just throw a bit of material around and go, I'm trying out this, you know, and they go, go on, do it, do it, do it tonight. And you do it. And they'd be going, go on, go on. And it sometimes die in its hole. Just, and you'd only do in a paid set, you know, maybe two or three little jokes just to test yeah. them out, you know, cause you, you know, it's unfair 
someone paying you money and you go up and do a whole 10 minutes of new material is shite. But um, so I moved out of London. I lost my car share. The fuel prices had gone up. And I remember doing gigs and going, oh, my God, I'm really earning a lot less than I was. And I was trying to earn um, back. I moved out 2011. I was trying to earn a minimum of 600 pounds a week. Okay. That was my minimum. And I remember it going up sometimes, you know, you get 700 or 800. Some other weeks it would go down to 450. Um, you know, and really working hard to try and keep this money together. So the fuel pricing really affected me. So when I came out to Bishop Stortford without having a car share, I remember going, the logical thing here to do is open a club. So I opened a little club. Like I say, first year didn't, um, it's first year we did 10, gig, 10 gigs and um, I got a friend to help me with the bookkeeping and they went, congratulations, you made 900 pounds for the year on that gig. And um, that's nine, that's 10 Friday nights I've taken out lost earnings. And then to add insult to injury, about a month later, I found 300 pounds worth of invoices we didn't include. So <laughs> it means we made even less. And then it spurred me on to go, right, I'm going to really work on this. And I did all sorts of weird stunts. I stood on, on roundabouts and at the rush hour at kind of um, uh, traffic jam points dressed as um, evil Knievel saying with a sign saying who am i hashtag comedy this friday you know to get to get a friend of mine worked was a marketing guy behind just eat and he okay, said cool. he said what you need to do is what domino pizzas do every time they open a new comedy club is they get someone standing on the busiest roundabout with the biggest biggest queue with a sign saying domino's opening next friday or something like that and mm. and that means people driving to work and go oh did you see that bloke standing in the rain or the snow or the whatever it was you know um and then I did that. I dressed as um, uh, one of the Thundercats. God, which one was it? Shit, I can't remember. Saying, who am I? And hashtag for a Twitter thing and what have you. And one of the things I'd read somewhere is I put a spelling mistake in, you know, and I put crap commute with one M, <laughs> meaning that people would see that. And everyone, I mean, everyone was taking photographs of me because it was snowing. It was seven o'clock in the morning and I've got comedy this Friday and I'm standing there in the freezing cold and people are kind of laughing and jeering and going, oh, you loser and all that <laughs> sort of stuff and taking photographs and sharing it and going, you're the loser. You're doing my marketing for me. Yeah. Free marketing. Thank you. Free marketing. And then I do um, I do all these sort of little taglines with with a spelling mistake so people would share it. Um, and that's when the club turned around and we started selling out and um and we did food my wife cooked a chili um which then would sell out that made an, an extra 300 quid 350 quid friday night Love a good chili. and yeah all, all sorts of you know just worked really really hard at it and all the people working the club were volunteers um and so i started making money at that and then realized this is you know one friday a month jesus i'm making i'm making you know um a lot of money making you know two grand wow from one friday wow, wow. one friday yeah jesus so you got the uh you got the bug then to to open some more clubs yeah it's opened another one and that did the same and then i'm just opening uh, another one at the minute um and this is what i kept saying to comics i said look and there was whinging about not having any money and the you know the oh god the gigs money's gig money has gone down not in 
in real terms, but you know, also nominal terms. And so, um, and I'd say, open a club, just open a club. Mm. And I will tell you, I will help you. I'll give you a blueprint. I will phone me up. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you all the things not to do because I made so many mistakes. And I've now got a blueprint of how to open a club that will make you thousands of pounds every gig. And and so my my gigs, I pay more than the comedy store. So to my comics, I have triple headliners. I feed them. I water the comics. Um, you know, when they leave, I fill their pockets full of crisps and M&Ms and all sorts of shit for the journey on the way back. Um, I now do a two camera record of every gig we do. And, and upload those two camera and a clean audio onto OneDrive and give it to the comics afterwards and say, fill your boots. If you want to do any um, links or edits or anything like that, just, just, um, just tag us in with the club, you know, and do wow. that. And so you're, 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 you know, you're giving the comedians incentives to come and do your gigs over other people's. Yeah. Yeah. Just to go, um, just to go look, I'm happy. You wouldn't believe how many comics don't use that OneDrive. Oh, and really? I've got I've got H two camera, high uh, what do you call it um, HD recording, clean audio. And they're um, not using it for their own material. There are quite a f- there are a few comics that have used it, but these are the comics that you you'll notice on on um, social media that are all over it. Yeah, I mean Rory O'Hanlon is just br- I mean he's a great comic anyway, but. He is single-handedly doing a fantastic self-promotion. And I'd say to any comic, look, just look up Rory O'Hanlon. He's just amazing. Um, I saw um, at, at your one of your nights at the, at the, at the pub, we saw a guy called uh, Brennan, Brennan Reese. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is brilliant. He's so funny. Yeah. Um, and he's, his Instagram's great. And is that something that comedians nowadays need to be more aware of building up followings on social media to help build their own brand? Um, definitely. I think this is the way for, I mean, you look at Mo, Mo Gilligan, Mo Gilligan um, did everything on Instagram. And next thing, you know, I was walking the West end and he's, you know, he's got, isn't it? I can't remember which theater it was where he was doing a gig. And I remember going, who's this guy, Mo Gilligan? Of course I'm, I'm 53. So I'm a dinosaur. I've no idea. I don't really. Do <laughs> I've got Instagram. I put stuff up there and what have you. But um, and all these little things that he, he did. Look, he's very talented and he's very funny. Let's just get that out there straight away. So he's just not just some guy with an Instagram account. But he did that entirely off the back of that. And he, you, you'd never see him in a, in a club mm. anywhere. You know. So so he built that. Um, sorry, someone's at my door. Hang on. Just no worries. <laughs> I don't know. I'm doing this my podcast. You go away. Go away. Podcast. podcast is a thing, right? Okay. I'll see you in a minute. Right. So that's my. <laughs> it's my little nine-year-old girl. How many minutes are you going to be? Um. So um. Yeah. So I definitely, absolutely, definitely, definitely, and any younger comic who's coming up, who you know, who's using, can get their head around Instagram, and oh yeah, I mean that's where, that's where you build your following and you you know you go viral and you go you know but i mean it's a very crowded market space but if you're mm. funny because as we know there's a lot of shit on um social media instagram that just isn't funny yeah <laughs> it's totally very true you know? very true 
Yeah. Um, for you, what's the biggest sort of positive or opportunity you've had out of this whole sort of comedian career and, and, and as a club owner? Um, I think for me, um, uh, mental happiness. Yeah, that's happiness. a big one. It's just for me, um, above, you know, the money. Uh, I mean, because when you start off and you're doing gigs, and you're just happy to be there gigging and you're being paid. And then a little bit later on, um, I'm passionate now about looking when I walk into now that I run a gig and I do the bar and we do the food and I walk into a room and I see how big it is. And they're doing all those things. I know how much money's in that room. And then when I see promoters turn around and pay comics 100 quid for that room and they say, oh, but we don't get the bar or we don't get the food. And I go, well, someone does. This is really unfair. This is really, really unfair. So yeah. um, I get a, I get a great, you know, I, I book my friends to come along to do what they like to do in hopefully the best environment there is for doing comedy because I'm obsessive about the lights, about the sound, about the way people are seated, the way people are you know brought in to experience the comedy i'm just ridiculously annoying with my crew about <laughs> how good that experience for the punter is um right down to the wine we sell right down to the food we sell right down to the, the seats they sit on the angles so so when the comic goes on that stage they're going to go wow this audience is amazing i want my friends to go patty that was great that was a really good room and so my rooms are, are known to be just just amazing to play. Mm. And so and then we sit in the green room with your friends and you have a chat and you eat some chili. And, you know, uh, and that that for me is is is, is really I just love it. I just mm. love it. And on the flip side of that, what's something that's, uh, you know, a negative of the industry? Um, I've uh, a negative of the industry is. Um, agents, um, there are some great agents out there, um, and some really bad agents. Um, there some of them are really difficult to deal with. Um, I mean, really difficult to deal with, um, when you, when you just deal, want to deal with a comic that you know, and they kind of refer you to their agent and you just go, Jesus, you know, this is not going to happen. Mm. And they're going, but I want to do it. And they're going, it's just not your agent. Just. Anyway, that's that's tricky. That's really boring. Um, uh, the traveling is killer. The, I mean, I won't make any bones about that. The, the travel is when you're starting off and you're driving. I used to when I was doing all this, um, when I first started off, I remember being a paralegal. Then I stopped doing that. And then I started um, renovating houses with an actor friend of mine. So we were we were up cracked on ripping up bathrooms and putting kitchens in and all that sort of shit. Just two man band. And um that, you know, we'd finish work at sort of quarter to five and I'd get in my car and drive to Birmingham and come what, back. What, and go and renovate houses in Birmingham? Oh, no, no. So I'd, I'd be renovating houses <laughs> in North London and then during the day and then in the evening, my, my friend would go, what are you doing? And I'm off to Birmingham. We'd go, what? And i go, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a, a gig for like 40 quid or something. Oh, wow. And he'd go, what? Well, don't be late in the morning. I was always late. <laughs> I was exhausted. And so you'd, you'd do a gig, you'd be full of adrenaline, you'd get in the car, you'd drive back um, um, from Birmingham, uh, sometimes even further, and 
um, you'd you'd have adrenaline and then coffee to stay awake, and then you'd the amount of near death experiences uh, off the off the trail, <laughs> genuinely, genuinely rumble strips and in the grass verges and just falling asleep at the wheel, and then so you'd take caffeine to stay awake, and um, then you'd arrive home. Guess what? Full of caffeine, and then you'd be you know you'd be two o'clock, and you're getting up at in five hours. Um, you, you know you and you're doing that you know how many nights a week yeah uh so and and then with the travel i'd make packed lunches because i just didn't have enough money you know um and you're just eating rubbish food and you know it's uh, it's pretty and i used to smoke back then as well as well and um uh, really really hard really 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 hard work mm. um the traveling um but if you've got a car share absolute lifesaver you keep each other awake as the expression um, they give good car. That means uh, <laughs> means something to comics. Got it. Um, at this point, we usually talk about the average income for the industry, but it's pretty much impossible to sort of find any figures um, anywhere about comedians' average income. And it's probably really fair to say that it varies so wildly. You know, the guys at the top, are, they can be earning millions. And like you said already, the guys at the bottom um, are just barely sort of making enough to, to live on is that kind of fair yeah i'd say now that any comic even comics that are like i'm in my 50s and been doing it since 2000 um are realistically doing is doing is have a second for a source of income whether that be writing or um editing or doing something because the money's not in the circuit anymore mm. but you know you could be working you know um back in the day you do two gigs on a saturday night two on a friday and if sometimes you do three and back before i did it in the 80s people were doing like five in london they were doing you know and it was all cash in hand and it was all that sort of thing. nowadays it's all you'll be getting um you see headline gigs for 150 quid and it's backs um and you sometimes get 200 quid 250 300 but those are you know you're, you're chasing far fewer bigger paid gigs and a lot of the if you're opening somewhere um, a lot of the promoters know this and they'll go, um, okay, you're, if you're going to open are you, and you're doubling somewhere else, they'll go, it's 100 quid. And you go, come on, that should be 150, 60, 70, 80, 90, whatever. Mm. So it's, it's really, really, really shit the way people have priced stuff. A lot of peop, uh, promoters just make their ticket price cheap. And I don't understand that. You know, once you start a cheap ticket price, you're always stuck with a cheap ticket price. Yeah. You know, just sell quality, people will come. My ticket price for my clubs are really expensive, you know, and I make no bones about it. Well, that's it. If you, but you get, you attract the comedians that, that merit that, that cost, right? Yeah. And, and um, um, yeah. And you, you know, you pay people uh, at the minute, the, the gigs that I'm booking at the minute are because um, uh, once we're out of lockdown and we can get back to normal, you know, there'll, there'll be 200 pounds, 220, 240 pounds a, a set. Um, uh for everyone um, with food and drinks and everything else in between, you know, something. Um, yeah. But I think, I think realistically um, back in the day when you'd, when you'd earn a thousand pounds a week, um, that's really hard to maintain. And, and, and even then like the really, really, really good comics, um, circuit comics are finding that hard to maintain. So you've got to almost have a second form of income or, or something on the side to, to, to warrant you be able to do this as a career now. Yeah, and I would say, and this is my model, if I was king of, if I was prime minister, I would go, every comic 
you have to open a club in the town where you live or nearby. And obviously, if everyone lives in London, that's slightly more difficult. But <laughs> if you live in Lamington Spa, open a gig in Lamington Spa. If you live in Yeovil, open one in Yeovil. If you, you know, um, and lots of comics are, are doing. Jared Christmas runs one. He lives. He moved out way west. He, he does a little gig out there in an art centre. And it's not, it, look, it's hard work and the admin's killer. But if you want to do the bar and the food, that's when it gets complicated. Um, but um, it's so rewarding financially the town loves you the people i mean i go in my town here my kids my, my kids think it's hilarious that i'm they go you're famous <laughs> i don't know them they, i mean we went to an open garden day um at some lodge eastern lodge or whatever it's called and and three of the volunteers at this place went i was wearing you know glasses and a cap went i recognize your voice oh it's you patty oh i come to your comedy club blah 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 <laughs> and my kids and some other friends were with us going jesus christ and i went oh, don't worry this this is small small pond <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah that's but, nice oh, yeah it's very nice and but the amount of people i'm buying vegetables from a stall up uh, you know in the you know just in a village close to here and the guy goes i come to your gigs by the way i really really like them and it's just lovely that's cool and they do and genuinely if you live somewhere even travel 50 miles to a, a place where there's not a comedy club go to the town hall and hire it and start a comedy club they will come they will come i mean I, it's just not rocket science no. people are dying for entertainment and if you're really lazy do it in a venue that already has a bar like some you know and they'll do the bar they'll take the money and you don't pay for the hire because they you just brought 150 people in but you take the door and yeah. you pay the comics really, really well. And we all pay each other £220 a gig. And I, I keep saying this to everyone, that's the model. And when the model, and when it gets better, you pay them a bonus. So when we sell out, I pay a bonus on top of that. You it know. sounds like if, if every, well, not if every, but if a lot more comedians did that, then they'd be helping the industry itself as well. Yeah. And I think, um, look, no one's going to help us because we're commercial. Yeah. Um, you have this in, in the, the arts world where, Commercial theatre does it really, really well and earns money and arts funded theatre, semi-empty, relies on grants, doesn't do very well. And you mm. think we just need to be more commercially minded. And, and I'm afraid to say you have to work hard. Yeah. You know, comics are surprisingly lazy. <laughs> we talk about how hard they're, you know, but really during the week, what the fuck were you doing? Come on. Even if you wrote for three hours a day, or four hours or five hours. Mm. That's still only. And then you came to the weekend, you did some gigs. Come on. Who are you, you know, who are you fucking kidding? Just. Yeah. But that's the, that is the only way out. Um, and I, I guess the sort of last question we, we always ask is would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Um, uh, oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you, you found the uh, your absolute love. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'd say to a younger younger me, um, I should have worked harder at it. I think I found it easy on stage to be funny. And um, and I remember, I can't quite remember what Gary Delaney said, but he talked about it saying, you know, um, you're the worst type of comic because you just don't, you know, like Gary Delaney and I started off at the same time and he was such a nice guy and so helpful. He had lists of all the gigs, which he shared with me. And he had, he had a spreadsheet of when he phoned them, when he phoned them back, 
when they were giving him a 10 minute spot when they were giving him <laughs> you know, once giving him a 15 minute spot and he was like you've got to be forensic with this and he was the one that told me you've got to be forensic with this but he you know he'd be the first to admit that um not naturally a funny guy but um and on stage when he first started off would have almost an asthma attack with nerves and what have you but um just relentlessly the best joke writer and works nine to five you know just writing jokes and you you know he is he is where you'd want to aim and i wish that i'd you know just been a, a little bit more um diligent when i started off i i started you know 2000 and then my first kid was born in 2000 oh this is shit oh, how old are my kids 2002 <laughs> um and then one born in 2005 and then one born in 2009 and um that's really hard and i'd say if you're doing comedy get it all done before the kids arrive because you're going to be traveling and you don't want to be missing a saturday with the kids because that really killed me that really 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 killed me um because you know i i love to go out and get a drink and get fall over and you know comics and you know go to a nightclub or not nightclub but go go you know go to a late drinking place after a gig if you're staying over and what have you but then you get on a train coming back from manchester on Sunday in absolute pieces and um and you you know your kid young kids are there and you've missed them and your wife's kind of going you're a dickhead you know um, <laughs> um so that's one of the reasons why again why I started a club because I thought and my wife does the cooking she does the door uh and all of our friends a lot of them are volunteers who just you know who are high earning individuals and they love to throw a cloth over their shoulder and work behind the bar or do the food or you know yeah people really want to do to help comics and comedy clubs tapping on it but i well, do, if i yeah so sorry long long answer probably not even the right answer <laughs> that's this good answer um listen thank you so much for coming on and chatting um it's been super interesting to find out about about the industry which i knew literally nothing before it would seem well uh, and i'm just going to mention you came to still marries the pub uh, yes central wales yes in, uh, in the village of Stormaries, which is a bizarre, it's like the deep south of America. I see the <laughs> rednecks, and, and it is absolutely um, bandit territory down there. And the guy that runs that passionately just just loves his comedy. And every year we put on a festival for Edinburgh previews, and um, uh, we pay the comics very well to do this, and it, to do this whole day of, of shows free to the public. Mm. And this year <clears throat> we're we're aiming to go into the field next door and put a stage up and make it much bigger. Oh, um, wow! And we're going to slightly a couple of uh, a couple of TV names. I don't like doing a lot of TV names because you know they don't need it; <laughs> they're already there. You know. Yeah. Um. So so we're doing that on the first Sunday, first of August, and then I'm at the minute I'm negotiating with a very posh wedding venue. Um, for the bank holiday August to put three days of comedy on and um, and that's going to be very big names and stuff but terrifying sums of money which okay. makes me wake up in the middle of the night you know <laughs> um, genuinely genuinely big sums of money but um, I'm booking that um, and and trying to do little little um, uh, opening other clubs around me that I'm going to do um, and make a make a little sort of team of people that are, we're just going to roll it out and, and just give more work to comics and more gigs for 
punters to come to and all that sort of thing and that's 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 what gets me up in the morning just to go right where now i'm going to yeah. focus on this town i'm going to try and find a venue in this town and find a team that's going to drive out there and make people laugh i mean it's it sounds great and um i wish you all the best of luck with it um, and where can people sort of find out about all of your uh your gigs and your clubs you know website or or social so, medias um paddy lennox.com p-a-d-d-y-l-e-n-n-o-x will take you to um the list of uh, th- there's a whole raft of gigs about that haven't gone up yet they haven't gone live but they're about to go live um and the and, and they'll all be on there they'll all be they'll all be they'll be there but we've got we've got the um prince of wales still marries gig i'm just looking at my world calendar uh 19th of may is the first one and uh we've got a very big telly name i'm not allowed to say who he is oh big tour coming up and he did it at christmas and oh i'm not gonna say it but i can i know who it is i'm not uh, gonna say uh, it it's uh, and last time he did it christmas he is the um the prime of his life he was super popular down there everybody was talking about it he's well he's coming back and he just he just texted me today and um and I, I just, and I wish I could say his name because I want to say to people, I mean, afterwards, uh, you know, I might tell you who it is or whatever, but, um, but if you get a chance to see him on his tour, he is on fire. He is, tell um, parents, anyone can go and see this guy and he is just a joy. Anyway. Well, we thanks again, Paddy. I super appreciate your time and uh, it was great chatting. Hey, thank you very much. And um, yeah, go well.